Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofola, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about America's gerontocracy. The last couple of years of the late Senator Dianne Feinstein's career were not her best, as she battled health ailments and challenges with mental acuity. But she's not the only or the first elected leader to face those challenges. It's not surprising. The median age of House members is 58 years old. The median age of the Senate is 65. President Joe Biden is 80. The Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump is 77. Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, is 81 and has twice frozen mid-sentence during public appearances recently. It can be hard for some folks to step away. Take longtime Bay Area Congresswoman Jackie Speier. Two years ago, when she announced her retirement from Congress, Speer told me on this podcast that there should be an age limit in the House. Where would she set the bar? 75 years old, she said. Last month, Speer announced that she would be running for the San Mateo County Board of Supervisors. Speer is 73 years old. There is mounting frustration with baby boomer and older politicians who continue to refuse to leave the stage and share power with a younger, often more diverse generation. What is the effect of that on younger people who want to run for office? And how does it affect how our government works? Here to talk about all this is Amanda Littman. She is very concerned about the graying of America's political leaders. She's the co-founder of Run for Something, an organization that recruits and supports young, diverse, progressive candidates for office. It connects them with fundraising networks and walks them through the early stages of mounting a campaign that can be daunting to someone new to the process. Why is all that support needed? I started by asking Amanda why it is that the odds seem to be so stacked against young newcomers to politics. The United States is a gerontocracy, a government run for, by, in service of our older citizens. And it's it's a structural issue that I, I think can really feel like it makes government so wildly out of touch. And there's a couple issues at play here. One is gatekeepers, people who kept young people out of running for office. That's something my organization, Run for Something, is trying to fix. We're trying to bring more young people into the fold. Two, there's a tendency for older folks to hang on a really long time, stay in office for 10, 20, 30, you know, 50 years in some cases, both because there's some privileges to seniority, especially in Congress, but also because what do you do after you've been a member of Congress or a senator? It can be very scary, it can be very frightening. And three, you know, there's some financial issues at play here. It's often very expensive to run for office. It's very expensive to maintain two households. Often the only people who can do it are the ones who already have access to wealth, which is often older people, all of which gets us to a place where government just doesn't represent the American people anymore. Now, what is the effect on younger people who want to run for office? They're here in California. There's a uh, sort of a backup. Much of our congressional delegation in Northern California is over 70. You know, for younger people to step up and lead, older folks have to step aside. 
the political reality is such that there's only so many open seats. There's so many seats in the first place that people can engage with. When you have a, a bottleneck, it really prevents new folks from, from participating. And not just from people moving up the ladders, but from other people getting in at the lower ranks, knowing that there isn't a chance for upward mobility if there's something that, that they might be interested in. And does this hurt one demographic more than another? How about for younger people of uh, color? Does that does it make it doubly difficult on them to to try and start raising money and such? Doubly, triply, exponentially, especially for young women of color, young people of color who might identify as LGBTQ, anyone who deviates from what the you know traditional quote unquote politician looks like, you know anyone who isn't an older white man often will have struggles raising money. That's one of the reasons why they're often not asked to run in the first place, because the people who are bringing people in to, as candidates are looking for folks who are guaranteed money raisers because resources are scarce, all of which creates a system where young people are left out of the fold. What's the, uh, you sort of alluded to this uh, earlier, but what's the effect on on how the country is run when its leaders turn gray? And, I, and I'm thinking of technology issues. You know, there's fam- mm-hmm. famously, uh, a senior senator once said, um, you know, the internet is a series of tubes. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you remember that. What does it mean? Uh, the, the What's the practical effect on the day-to-day governing, you know, of, of the country? Oh, well, if you've ever watched a congressional hearing on technology, it is so demoralizing. You know, it's older, older senators often asking questions like, how does Facebook make money? And why do my emails go to spam? Um, those those a, are actual questions, by the way. Real questions. Hand to God. Just not understanding the industry that they're supposedly trying to regulate and oversee. And we also have this issue come up on things like housing, education, transportation, reproductive health. Over and over and over again, the experiences of a 60 or 70 or 80 year old are not in line with that of a 20 or 30, even 40 something right now. And it has a direct implication on the kind of things that they prioritize legislatively. And I think especially on housing, this is one of those things where like, if you have ever tried to explain to you, I don't know how old you are, but like when I tried to explain to my grandma a couple of years ago, how I was searching for, for roommates for a group house on Facebook, like she didn't understand what that meant, like how that impacted the way that I entered the housing market as a renter Mm. or the way that, you know, I'm now in my mid thirties, the idea of buying a house, especially there's no such thing as a starter home anymore, at least in the places I want to live and raise a family and have a job. That Mm. is the kind of, you know, participation in the housing market that a 60 or 70 year old just doesn't have experience with and doesn't share and therefore can't really legislate in the same way to solve the problems that so much so many of us are facing. So if young people feel disconnected, are you concerned that some of them could turn away from mainstream politics? I think we especially have a moment where some young voters are eager to burn it down. They're pissed with the status quo. They think their housing has stayed more expensive. You know, for young people who have families, childcare is still outrageously expensive. Basic goods and services, even though inflation has slowed down, are still really expensive. In a lot of ways, the federal government has been able hasn't been able to tackle the challenges that that some folks are facing. I think that could be directly tied to some of the age of our federal leaders. I'm sure at this point some of our listeners are berating us as as ageist, horrible uh-huh. people who want to <laughs> kick all the old folks off the boat. What about the value of experience? How do you balance that with uh, the the need to bring in uh, new blood to political life? saying that it should only be 
20s and 30 somethings. Like, I would never suggest that our government be better off if it was exclusively millennials and Zoomers or even some Gen Xers. What I do think is important to know is that right now it is disproportionately boomers and members of the silent generation. That is not a diverse team that is not reflective of the American people, and it's not serving any of us well. I think we are better, and political science, social science, you know, business science has all shown this out and through research. Everything functions better. A team functions better when it is made up of diverse experiences and diverse perspectives. That includes generational perspectives. And right now we don't have that. So yeah, there should absolutely be folks with lots of experience and we should have fresh voices at the table. We need all of it. Let's take a look at, at California's newest senator, recently sworn in LaFonza Butler. She has been the leader of a huge labor union in California. She led Emily's List, which supports Democratic women who support abortion rights. She's been a top advisor to Hillary Clinton and uh, Vice President Harris. She'll be the first black lesbian to serve in the Senate. And she's 44 years old. Uh, this is a person who uh, Democrats would uh, would create a candidate like this in a laboratory if, if they could. Mm-hmm. This is a but yet LaFonza said, you know, right after she was uh, appointed by Governor Newsom, that, quote, running for public office was never on her bingo card. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? Well, I think as someone who grew up in California, or at least has made her life in California, she's identified that there isn't maybe an entry point for someone like her in these spaces. There isn't room for a 30-something or now 40-something Black queer woman to run for office. What kind of open races would she have been able to engage in? No. How could she even have begun to break through some of the machine that has been set up? One of the things I'm so proud of is that Run for Something has been able to create entry points for younger leaders to run, including in places like California. You know, Alex Lee, one of your state assembly members, is yep. one of our Bay Area assembly member, Alex Lee. Amazing, amazing. And also lowering <laughs> the average age in the California state legislature single-handedly. I think he was 25 when he was elected, correct? That's right. And like his experience is as valued as those of the 60s and 70-year-olds. It's as important. We will return to our conversation about America's gerontocracy after this short break. But before we go to break, though, we have a special request for you, our listeners. As part of our coverage of the run-up to next year's election, we want to hear how political debates in the Bay Area are impacting your life. We want to hear from you. Have arguments over public safety solutions or policy decisions strained your personal relationships? Which local issues have become the most divisive? If you've got a story to tell, shoot us an email at fifth at sfchronicle.com. That's F-I-F-T-H at sfchronicle.com. Or give us a call at 415-777-6156. You could end up in a future show. Now back to our conversation about America's gerontocracy with Amanda Lippman, co-founder of Run for Something. So what's what's the solution here? You talk about opening up pathways. Do we need to change any kind of laws or requirements or or what? What are some of the solutions here that would let the youngins have a little bit more of a chance? You know, part of this is having some hard and often uncomfortable conversations with people who've been in office for a long time about part of leadership is creating paths for succession. It is passing the torch that that is as much a way of like sustaining your legacy 
as what you do is the way you set up others to step after you. The second thing I think we got to do is make sure that as voters, as donors, as operatives, as volunteers, you know, when a young person comes to us and says, I want to run for office, we don't say, wait your turn. We say, do it. And we help them. We knock doors for them. We give them money. We make calls for them. One of the things I've loved hearing from the young candidates run for something works with is like, they go knock doors and people are fired up to meet them because nothing is more inspiring than like a 20 something who says, I'm willing to change my life because I think this is a problem worth solving. It is so hopeful in a way that, oof, I mean, like I can't even imagine. So here a, a few weeks ago on this very podcast, Andrew Yang suggested one thing. He said House mm -hmm. and Senate members should only be limited to serving 12 or 16 years. He was a little flexible on the, on the years and people, and I was like, Oh, come on. They would never vote to, to, to put themselves out of work. Who would do that? And he says, his suggestion is term limits would not apply to current lawmakers. Would that work? And why hasn't someone, one of the, uh, your young friends in, in Congress suggested this? I don't know why they haven't suggested yet. It certainly should be an option on the table. I think there's lots of pros and cons to term limits. You know, some have argued that term limits give more power to lobbyists or to sort of outside players who have some of that institutional knowledge. Some have argued that uh, elections should function as term limits themselves. I think it should definitely be an option on the table and up for discussion, along with some other structural changes you could make, like ranked choice voting, multi-member districts, age caps at the end of a term of service is certainly something to chew on. All of this should be on the table because like right now, the structure just isn't working for us. You alluded a couple minutes ago to passing the torch. And I want to throw out two examples of people who have talked about passing the torch and, and sort of passed it. One is President Biden. He said when you know he's running in 2020 that he would uh, pass the torch or he would be a, a bridge to a new generation. And the other person is uh, Speaker Emerita Pelosi, um, mm -hmm. who said that she would uh, – and she did – give up her position leadership and, but yet remains in the Congress as sort of a, uh, eminence grease there. And she's always, uh, helping behind the scenes. We've had folks on the podcast talking about that. Tell me about how each of these torch passings has worked in practice. Well, I think president Biden in particular has done a really good job of bringing some exciting leaders to the forefront in his cabinet. He's been supporting folks like Gretchen Whitmer, Josh Shapiro, and others across the country who are, I think, the bench for the Democratic Party. So, like, you know, we'll see what happens after 2024. But in 2028, we have an incredible wealth of options for folks who can rise to higher office. And that doesn't even get into some of the amazing state legislators and school board members and city council members who can really, you know, move up. As for, you know, Speaker Emerita Pelosi, whew. I don't know how y'all do that in San Francisco politics. That machine seems very complicated. But I think she has done a good job with at least passing the speakership on um, to Hakeem Jeffries, who does, you know, admittedly bring a really exciting energy into his his presence there. Well, and it also goes to like how much variability there is when it comes to the aging process and how it affects cognitive function. Pelosi's f flying around the country like someone half her age. Her her schedule really has not it's slowed up a little bit in terms of fundraising and such, but she's still near the top of her game. Where, as we saw, Senator Feinstein, you know, who is about seven or eight years older than Pelosi, is is faded over. She faded over the last several years. How do you how do you address that sort of uh, variability? Well, I think this gets at the thing that's really important to keep in mind when we're talking about the gerontocracy is it's not about any one individual. It's about a structure that has kept young people out and, you know, privileged power for older folks. 
And in order to fix it, we got to fix the structure. We can't just talk about whether one individual or another should retire or step down or has still got it with them. And how do you how do you set the line between what's being ageist and what's just, you know, commenting on this and about uh, saying we need changes? You know, I try and be really careful. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I do think like this is a hard conversation to have. And one of the reasons we're in this place in the, in the first place is that no one likes to talk about our impending mortality. That talking about the gerontocracy is uncomfortable because, you know, baked into these conversations is at some point folks are going to pass away. At some point, this problem will unfortunately, sadly, you know, solve itself demographically speaking. And I hate that. That sucks. That's so uncomfortable. But we need to be prepared for it. And we need to think about how we can make it so no one has to die on the job, that they can really set themselves up for their legacy to be much more than how it ends. Now, your your organization, Run for Something, is aimed at supporting progressive Democrats. And we've seen poll after poll that said that Democrats are concerned about uh, President Biden's age. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's arguably had a very productive first term from the infrastructure law, record investments in climate change, which is very important to younger folks, reducing the cost of prescription drugs, which is very important to, to older folks generally. How do you get younger folks fired up from your perspective about President Biden? Because that is a, you know, you look at the national polls and I know it's early and et cetera, et cetera. But he's, you know, it doesn't look good for him right now. He's uh, tied with Trump. How do you how do you fire up uh, young Democrats about Biden? Well, I think we're going to have to make this race about more than just President Biden. He certainly had an incredible tenure of leadership and, you know, has a bunch of stuff he wants to do in a second term and has to stop Trump. All that is true. And we got to make sure that young voters know that it's not just his name on the ballot. Abortion is on the ballot. Gun violence is on the ballot. Climate change is on the ballot. And, you know, more tactically, other candidates <laughs> are also on the ballot. You know, there's governor's races, Senate races, state legislative races, all of which will have direct consequences for their lives. And even if they're not super hyped to vote for Joe Biden, whatever candidate they're hyped to vote for, they will show up at the polls and hopefully fill out the whole ticket. Are you concerned about that, that that younger folks might not show up because they see an 80-year-old white guy at the top of the ticket? I think that's the, the task for Democrats over the next year is to make sure that we don't leave any of this up to chance. We have to be organizing on the ground. We have to be being where these young people are. We have to be talking to them in languages, both literally and figuratively, that they speak and understand. And, you know, we have to acknowledge that, okay, Joe Biden is pretty old. That's true. But we can't miss this opportunity to stop Trump, and we can't miss this opportunity to make progress on the things we care about. All right. Tell us a little bit about what your organization, Run for Something, is going to be doing over the next uh, few months. As uh, we gear up here in in California, we're going to be casting ballots in our primary in in, in about four Mm -hmm. months. Well, Run for Something is hard at work both in the 2023 elections, and we've got incredible candidates in Virginia, as well as more than 30 other states across the country running for state ledge, where we have a chance to protect abortion access in the last state in the South, but also school board, library board, city council, municipal offices that can really make or break the quality of people's lives. And we're already recruiting for 2024. We're ensuring that we're getting candidates for as many of these offices as possible because the doors they knock and the people they talk to, like those are the ones that are going to get people out to the polls, especially in most places where the presidential just isn't as competitive. So tell us about some of the young people you're working with who are waiting in the wings for the older generation to step aside or die off. It's a huge light at the end of the scary tunnel, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. 
you know, Run for Something's helped elect more than 850 young people, all folks under 40, to state and local offices across the country, mostly women and people of color, about a quarter LGBTQ, and they're amazing. And basically every time you have seen a state legislator in particular making national news over the last year, two years, it's noteworthy that those have been the 20 and 30-something, often women, often people of color or LGBTQ leaders across the country. The Justins in Tennessee, Megan Hunt in Nebraska, Mallory McMorrow in Michigan, Zoe Zephyr in Montana, Mari Turner in Oklahoma, like over and over again is not, not a coincidence here. They're incredible. And the sooner we can make way for them to rise to the top if they so choose, the better all of our government will be. So I really hope that we'll be able to make space for them to to climb if that's what they want out of their careers. All right. Amanda Littman, thank you so much for being on It's All Political on Fifth Admission. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Amanda Littman for being on the podcast today. Thanks to Keith Manconi for producing and mixing this episode. And remember, no matter if your hair is pulled into a gray bun or propped up into a man bun, it's all political on Fifth and Mission. <laughs>